today on Ag News Daily. So this spring, we will uh, be volunteering on cases in Illinois. So that adds our eighth state to the mix. Tanner Delaney back again Thursday, Wednesday report day, January 12th, 2023. An exciting day, Delaney. We get to talk about the report. We get to have an interview with one of my favorite charities, charitable organizations. And of course, I get to spend time with you. So how could it be any better? Oh, wow. I almost believed that for a second. <laughs> oh, it's all sincere. All of it. Oh, all of it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm uh-huh. sure. As my fingers are crossed and toes are crossed. Yeah, great. Is that what the kids Thank do you. these days? I think that's what they used to do. Oh, I'm just dating myself a little bit. That's okay. We all knew you're old. <laughs> uh, that's just fine. You know what is getting old is egg prices at the mm-hmm. grocery store. Since the avian influenza outbreaks, 2022 has seen a hike in egg prices to a record high level of successive weeks. Of course, then we have increased holiday demand from families getting together more than they had in the last couple of years. Also, egg prices are expected to decline now, though, going into 2023, as the industry looks to rebuild their inventories. Obviously, the Economic Research Service mentions that prices in 2022 were 210% higher in the week leading up to Christmas than during the same period in 2021. Bird flu outbreaks beginning last February with the created two large waves of losses, as we reported on Delaney, from February through June. Second wave was September through December, but by the end of 2022, more than 43 million laying hens had died from the viral disease, and at latest count, a total of 57.8 million birds. So uh, unfortunately, that was not great news. That did reduce egg inventories at the end of the year by 29%. Hopefully we can build that back in 23. But if you are an egg eater, love the protein, it's going to cost you at least for the short term. Yeah. And this is somewhat anecdotal, but I've been to the grocery store quite a bit lately and it's interesting to see the increase in prices has been kind of the largest measure of the inflation metric for consumers, because as you mentioned, their eggs have skyrocketed anywhere. I read reports that said about 106% year over year is what the value of the egg has gone up at the grocery store. But when you go to the grocery store, Tanner, there are some eggs that are costing up to $8 a dozen. And that is just, that just blows my mind. I think I saw something on, I don't know if it was Facebook or Twitter that someone had posted that was $12 a dozen. Wow. That is uh, really high. Where I thought you were going with that comment is I've been seeing the social media posts of of backyard hen huts and lane okay. huts where where the uh, influencers are putting on their sunglasses and having high security around them because of how valuable the backyard chicken flocks are now since egg prices are through the roof. That's true. We That's a, another good point. I haven't seen that post yet, but now I feel like I need to go look for it. But <laughs> we saw today, Tanner, the latest consumer price index summary was released. And the big headline here is that for the first time in quite some time, we actually saw it decline just a tenth of a percent in December on seasonally adjusted basis. They said after increasing it, obviously a tenth of a percent in November, we're back to where we started sitting right at six and a half percent for inflation as of the latest CPI index, which was released today, which is really kind of the best measure we have to say, how is inflation impacting consumers in the grocery store and for their costs to buy goods and services? 
That is. It's good that it finally went down just a little bit. We'd like to see that be a much larger reduction. But we do have a little bit of help on the way for farmers and ag producers. The USDA is making an additional CFAP2 payment. The USDA obviously began issuing their payments under the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program 2, the second wave of payments there. And that was in an effort to help underdeserved and under or underdeserved and underserved farmers and ranchers using the Commodity Credit Corporation as an avenue for that. Now, additional payments equal to 15% of the CFAP2 payment already received will be processed. They are to be processed as of yesterday through the USDA on January 11th, and payments should hit your mailboxes within the next 30 days. Contract growers are not eligible for this round of payments, and these payments came out of a final rule on the CFAP program and other aid efforts released on January 11th yesterday that are expected to total nearly $325 million. So it might be a good time period to check your mailbox. It might be. I, I guess I didn't realize. Did we know we were getting a CFAP 2 payment? Nope. That's why I reported on it today. This was news to me. That's what I thought. Okay. I also had that story pulled up and thought, this is news, right? This isn't something we knew we were going to get, but I'm actually surprised that we are continuing to see these payments, Tanner, because it kind of is counterintuitive to the Fed continuing to raise interest rates and squash inflation. We're trying to discourage spending. So it seems a little backwards to me. Yeah, it uh, it does seem quite interesting for us. Of course, as we look into the future of these programs, it would be interesting to see if this administration pulls out or introduce anything new as it tied to the next farm bill. That's true. And that is definitely heating up in the House and Senate right now, as we see lots of interesting dynamics going on um, in Congress. But Tanner, I wanted to turn our attention over here to California. This is a story that both you and I have been remiss to hit on, but it's certainly an impactful one for our growers in California. We're continuing to see really flooded areas pretty much across the entire stretch of California as they're getting hit hard with rain. The National Weather Service issued a recap of total precipitation that's been received here over the last two weeks for California. And just for comparison, the precipitation totals in San Francisco since the start of this heavy rain event have been equivalent to nearly 35% of the annual precipitation that we see here in the I-States, Tanner. So the precipitation has gone a long way to restoring California's reservoir system and the mountain snowpack, but now California's, of course, faced with the opposite effect, which is flooding, Tanner. And so it's been really uh, impactful, especially as you look along the Central Valley, Fresno, and North. That's been a Probably the largest swath of precipitation has been through there, but uh, we're still expecting to see wet weather here for about the next 10 days for that swath of California. Yeah, I feel bad for our listeners that that hadn't made the headlines for our reporting on the weather side any sooner than this. I'm glad you grabbed that. Of course, we still have our friends in the southern United States with their strong winds, 15 to 25 mile an hour with gusts up to 40. That is much less than they had been experiencing the last couple of days. Some wintry mix may fall in some of that area with only a trace of slushy snow. And of course, as we get to parts of central U.S. and southeastern Illinois area, isolated thunderstorms are possible for today. But Delaney, on Thursdays, we hit ethanol production. And I just love how dramatic the writers can be around this topic. Ethanol output rebounded from over two-year low while inventories plunged. 
to the lowest level in over a month is how it's described. Ultimately, Delaney, production of that biofuel was 943,000 barrels per day in the week that ended January 6th. That's up from 844 the week before that. When we talk stockpiles, that plunging was dropping to 23.8 million barrels in the seven days that ended January 6th. That's down from the 24.4. So a significant drop, but ultimately a plenty large buffer there as things are going. Like I said, that's the lowest level in the last month, not the lowest level in the last year. So plenty of room for support there, but it's good to see ethanol production ramping back up. It certainly is. And that should hopefully help domestic demand, Tanner, because we know that international demand might be a little lackluster here as we're really starting to see South American crops come online, specifically, of course, Brazilian soybean crops here. But Brazilian farmers are expecting to reap a very large soybean crop this season, despite some of the dryness we've seen in the southern parts of Brazil and Argentina. Growers in Brazil are on pace right now to produce a record 153.4 million ton crop, according to AgroConsult on Wednesday was their latest expectation there. And we're also seeing surveys showing that about 95% of their soybean crop is harvested right now. Take a little break and then they're going to hit things hard, Tanner, for that Safrina second corn crop here. So starting to see that come online, that really could impact what we see from an export perspective. So it's good to see some domestic demand being added into the picture, Tanner, here moving forward. Yes, it is. I only have a quick headline here just on Russian and American uh correspondence before we get into WASDI information. U.S. Navy veteran was finally released from Russian custody. This is not uh, Wieland, who has been uh, amongst the headlines lately, part of the Griner transition back to the United States. This individual was uh, traveling on hobby and was detained and had been in detention for more than a year. This was a concession that was negotiated privately through the Richardson Center of Global Engagement, a nonprofit funded by uh, funded by and spearheaded as a portion of inter-community negotiations. Trevor Reed, the individual that was freed this morning, was a former Marine and had been wrongfully detained in Russia last summer. No exchange was made from the U.S. side, and uh, the spokesperson stated here that he is happy to be headed back home to be with his families. However, they are still working hard to continue to get U.S. citizens and those that are currently detained under Russian fold back into the country. So good news there. There's a lot of lines in this story that states not all of detainees can be celebrities. So it's nice that everybody gets fair treatment. And it's good to see American citizens returning back to our shores. Well, then I think the last piece of news here we really have to hit on is how the WASD fared for today. And it certainly played out in a surprising manner, which it usually does for January. Kind of always does the opposite, it seems like, of what people think. But today was no different and gave the bull market some fresh fodder here as we saw a largely bullish report for the January WADS report, Tanner. Most notably, some of the surprises that came out of today's report included a 1.6 million acre drop in U.S. corn acres. We actually saw 11% increase in winter wheat acreage, which was quite surprising. We also saw the U.S. corn yield is now pegged at a 173.3 for this next growing season. And we did see a slight drop in soybean yield as well, now at a 49.5 bushel per acre yield, down just seven tenths 
of a bushel, but that certainly helped to tighten up the balance sheet here for both corn and soybeans, Tanner. As far as South America production goes, we did see a decline in both Argentinian corn and soybean production estimates, but USDA is still pegging in a record corn and soybean crop for Brazil. So no surprise there. And as we look at that final production numbers from 2022, the major surprise was that drop in corn, U.S. corn acres. And so the question becomes, where did those corn acres go, Tanner? That's going to be a good question, I think, to ask uh, analysts on the next couple of weeks here of Market Monday conversations. But all in all, bullish report that certainly helped things push a little higher in commodities today. And as we look at 2023 growing season, that kind of paints the picture for a slightly bullish, it's too soon to tell, but slightly bullish uh, production season here uh, heading into 2023 with things really kind of starting to tighten up there. But as I mentioned, it did give us some fresh bullish fodder to feed the markets today as grains finished in the green, Tanner. March corn added 15 cents today to close at 671 and a quarter. New crop corn added seven pennies today to close at 596 and a quarter. March soybeans added 25 and three quarter cents at 1519 is where we saw it end out the day. And November soybeans added 10 cents to close at 1397. As we hop over to take a look at the livestock markets today, Tanner, they have the opposite effect here, uh, trading the WASD today are really more so trading higher feed costs as February live cattle dropped 20 cents to close at a buck 57.55. March feeders down $1.27 and a half on the day to close at 184.27. And February lean hogs shed 55 cents today to close at 78.75. Tanner, fill us in on who we're talking to for today's conversation. Yeah, I know our listeners are probably very familiar with the Farm Rescue Group and their foundation. So it was neat to catch back up with them and get an idea of what their current needs are and what they're excited about for 2023. So let's get into that conversation right now. It is always great to have some diverse listeners on our show. And today we have Lynn Heinrichsen with Farm Rescue joining us. Lynn, what is Farm Rescue and how did you get involved with it? Farm Rescue is a nonprofit organization. It's a 5013C uh, company that was founded in 2005 by Bill Gross, our current CEO. And Bill is by trade a pilot for UPS, and he was determining, he was flying one day with his co-pilot, and they talked about uh, what they wanted to do in retirement. And Bill had this idea of getting a planter and a tractor and going out and helping uh, farm families in need. So that was kind of the beginning of it. and. What it, we do is when a family in farming or ranching is in crisis or need through an accident, illness, or natural disaster, we come in with our machine machinery and volunteers and can do their planting, harvesting, hay baling, or livestock feeding. And it's a free service that we offer so that we can get that family kind of over the hump, so to speak. And they can focus on getting their family healed or getting over the natural disaster and, and just keeping the operation moving forward so that the next generation will be there 
and be able to continue the family operation. It's one of those fantastic services that nobody wants to ever have to use, but are extremely thankful to use when they need it. It's I'm sure your operation is full of so many great stories, but as we sit right now, what is Farm Rescue's biggest need? Our biggest need um, throughout the year is is always, you know, having the funding to get to the multiple places we need. And, and, and what we do is the, the donors and the sponsors that help out Farm Rescue through their generosity um, allows us to transport volunteers to the area in need. Um, get the equipment transported. We take care of the housing, the food, any of the uh, costs involved in having a crew on site. Uh, typically, you know, our, our in a situation, it could run from two to four to six people or, or more, depending on how much time a volunteer can, can you know, give up. Uh, you know, we have to move volunteers in and out. And so really that's always our biggest need is, is the, the cost. And so we're always looking for more donors and sponsors to help the cause. And going off of that, how can people become a donor or a volunteer even if they want to? It's super simple. Um, everything can be found on our website, farmrescue.org. Uh, there's different tabs there where if they would like to make a donation. Um, you know, right now we're we're running a tractor sponsorship. We're we're in the process of trying to acquire a new tractor, so people can donate a certain amount of money and get their name put on the tractor that we're purchasing. Um, they can fill out a form and become a volunteer. Once it's in the portal, it goes. We have two um, staff members that do the screening and initial interviewing and, and all the paperwork involved to get a volunteer on, on board. But it's a very simple one-page process. Uh, we just ask, you know, what their background is in, in agriculture. And if it's if there's no background in agriculture, we can typically still find uh, a place for them on a volunteer crew. So really, we just want people with servant hearts. Um, obviously, we need skilled uh, um volunteers and CDL drivers and equipment operators and all of that. But but really anyone that with a servant's heart can volunteer. And again, all our process is very simple. All the applications are basically one page, five to seven questions or a few questions um, just about their background and what their um, experience levels are. And then there's also the tab where if you know a family in need, you can um, fill out the form for them or direct them to that form. And again, we keep that very simple. So one page uh, name, address, what their need is. Um, and then we make the call to do a phone interview with them and get more details. So we keep it simple. You guys are coming off of a really fun campaign where Bushlight and John Deere had teamed up to support Farm Rescue. Do you know, or is there any, do you have a lot of exciting things to look forward to in 2023? There we do. We're, uh, I would say our biggest 
um, announcement came uh, that we are moving into Illinois in 2023. So this spring, we will uh, be volunteering on cases in Illinois. So that adds our eighth state to the mix. And that's probably the biggest announcement. We, we've worked two years in laying the groundwork to bring that state on and make sure that we have the funding to do that. Uh, because that's uh, that's a state need. It it borders Iowa, and and where we currently are. Uh, so it just was a great segue uh, to move into Illinois next. Um, there's some other things. Uh, we've got great new sponsors coming on board. Um, a couple things I can't uh, really divulge right now because it's is the timing's not right. But uh, I would say our Partnership with John Deere and Bush Light is very strong, so I can leave it at that. But they have been tremendous sponsors in the past and continue to do so going forward. They put us in contact with other um, great sponsors, so we're always fortunate to have that partnership and and backing and support from, from every single sponsor that we have. Lynn, these resources are amazing for all farmers that are able to utilize them. How often would you say you are able to help farmers throughout the year? Or I guess like how many um, operations in general are you able to assist um, during your planting season and the harvest season? It varies. Um, you know, helping as many people as we can um, is our goal. And it really starts at at the family level, they they have to be willing to put that application in and ask for the help. That's always, we know, the hardest in agriculture. I get it. Uh, our family runs a cow-calf operation. We don't have uh, any hired people working for us. It's just our, uh, my, right now, my husband and I, since our kids are off to college and, and beyond college, um, but we, so we know if one of us goes down, uh, we're in trouble and and it's a struggle to to get over that hump. but but really, we want people um, to be able to ask for the help. And through the years, it's always been um, an increasing number. I think our numbers are gonna fall right about one hundred and twenty families for last year. To date, we're approaching that one thousandth family. So it continues to grow. Absolutely. It sounds like a great resource that all of our listeners may want to keep handy, whether they plan to donate or, you know, unfortunately may need service in the future. What is the best way for people to find you guys and stay connected? As always, go to the website, farmrescue.org. You can find all the resources right there. Yeah, this has been a pleasure. We appreciate you taking time to tell us more about Farm Rescue and how our listeners can help impact the lives of other farmers. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's a fun organization, and I think uh, a lot of people enjoy following, whether they can help financially or with their time. It's still great to see the community of agriculture there to support one another and an organization there that helps lead it and make it happen. Absolutely. Tanner, it's good to see, you know, I, I saw them at recently at a conference. They were talking about the bush light cans that we've all seen probably last year. And that was really kind of a fun, uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Fun charity effort, I suppose, that everybody really kind of got to get involved in that. And they said that's really kind of the first time they've done something like that. But it sounds like that's going to be something they continue to do. Yeah, it'll be exciting to see what is new and coming up. She teased us a little bit without letting us know. The listeners, stay tuned here because you know as soon as it comes out, we will share it with you. Delaney, it's been a good Thursday. we got a fun Friday episode tomorrow. Can't wait to share with our listeners. But today, what do you say? Should we let them go? Let's let them go.